If uh, anyone uh, doesn't know where the book of Jude is, that is the second to last book in the Bible. But we were going through the book of Jude before we stopped for a Advent series that I continued last week, which I was just really enjoying the book of, of Luke. It's, it's a great book. It's, a, it's encouraging. But I want to get back to Jude, and I want to finish up this series, um, and, and then we'll move on to uh, something new. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, we believe that this book is the Word of God. We believe that this book is what God desires and intends to communicate to us about who he is, um, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. And then by it, he speaks to us. And so we like to go and we like to look at a book and we like to read it in its context and go through it. And so we were looking at the book of Jude for a reason and a purpose. Because the book of Jude is a book about the defense of the faith. <clears throat> it is a book that helps believers to determine who is speaking false things um, and how to delineate uh, what I need to listen to and what I don't need to listen to. There are people throughout all of history who have been using religion as a means of gain. They use it to, uh, m to manipulate people for their own advantage. Um, and I thought in a world right now where, where there's just so much coming at you, uh, so many vo different voices out there, uh, it would just be good to sit and spend some time looking at what it means uh, to know the Lord, to follow him, and how to, to see who's speaking against what the Lord is speaking and who I should follow and listen to. Because uh, we are called not to just take all information as truth. Right? There is truth out there. There, there is such thing as absolute truth truth. His name is Jesus. And there are truths out there that are used and distorted to destroy people because there is a real enemy out there. And he has a one job. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's pretty effective at it. But good news is our God is greater than him. Um, and so we're going to be jumping back into the book of Jude, written by Jesus' half-brother James, to a church uh, somewhere, most likely in Syria, who was dealing with people who were coming in and distorting the good news of the gospel. And they were leading people into destructive behaviors that are causing misery in their life. And, and Jude's passion was first to write just to celebrate in the common faith that they had. But hearing of what was happening, he stopped that and he said, look, you guys got to stand up and defend the faith. Because what's happening in you is destructive and the people who are coming in and teaching you the wrong things, they're just self-serving. And so if you'll remember, the last sermon I had on this was on remembrance out of verse 17. That how God has always used, that our, our memory actually helps us in faithful living. And God throughout history has always used ways for us to remember, to help us to remain faithful in walking before him. Right? Because none of us are perfect. 
This, this should not be new, new news. I think I try to say this every day. None of us are perfect. No one in this church is perfect. This church is not perfect. I am not perfect. But there is a perfect God whose perfect love is working in us to perfect us into his image so that Jesus may be seen in us. And God throughout history has established ways in which his people are called to remember him. In fact, the, the, the Jewish people, it was like every month there was some kind of festival, uh, some kind of thing happening that we are called together to remember what God has done. The strong hand and outstretched arm, he rescued them out of Egypt and brought them through a place that they could, uh, an impassable sea. He opened the way. He made the way. And not only that, every week, God's people were called to pause and remember not only that God is the one who created all things and then rested on the seventh day, but that God is the provider of all things. And I don't have to work 10 days in a row in order to make sure that I can eat. I can, take a st- I can stop and I can rest and I can wait and, and trust in the Lord's provision, which I could go down a very long rabbit trail uh, <laughs> looking at that. But I do just want to say this, in an agricultural space, society, when you have to harvest, you have to harvest right away. And when rain is coming, it is really easy to say, you know what, I, I got to go now to get, to get my crops. And at a time when God's command of his people was on the seventh day, you will rest and you will keep it holy. Man, what a statement of faith it was to rest in him. So God was using that just to remind his people, I know you, I love you, I will care for you. I am the one who can speak and make something come out of nothing. And if there's a provision that you need, I can give it to you. So if you have your Bibles open with me, turn with me uh, to Jude. Uh, We're going to look at verse 17. Uh, This is coming right after Jude is describing these false teachers. He's describing these, these people as malcontents, uh, people who are, who are looking for their own desires and, and what they, they want themselves, and they're putting on this big show, and they're acting like they know some great knowledge that's going to provide something for you, but they're actually like waterless, waterless clouds. They look like they're bringing the rain, but they've got nothing. And he says this, but you must remember, beloved, The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God. See, Jude is making a statement about these false teachers. And one of the most important statements that he makes about these false teachers is found in verse 18. Actually, verse 19. It is these people who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. See, what Jude wants these people to know, this church to know, is that these false teachers are false believers because they do not have the Spirit. 
They're missing an identification, a mark on them that shows that they are genuine believers. How many of you know what this is? Well, if you read it, you'll know exactly what it is. It's a watermark. You know, watermarks were created. It's an awesome technology. In, the, in like 12, 1282 in Italy, and they were created to make sure that people know certain documents were genuine documents. It's like the analog version of blockchain. Some of you know what that is. Um, some of you don't. But this is on every one of our checks, important documents. It's a variation in the, in the size and the thickness of paper that shows that the, the document that is printed on is a genuine document. It's a watermark. There's a watermark in every Christian, in a sense. It's the Holy Spirit. Anyone who truly knows Jesus and follows Jesus is marked by him as a genuine follower because he dwells in them. But these teachers are false believers because they do not have the Holy Spirit. And they're trying to present themselves as someone who's genuine, but they're not genuine because they don't have the Spirit. You cannot be a believer if you do not have the Spirit. Because you must be born again, born anew. The Spirit must dwell inside you and be in you. Right? Ephesians places this out there. You, it, is, it is a mark. It is a down payment. It is a person. It is a he. It's a mark of who you are, whose you are, and a guarantee of your, further, your future salvation. Paul goes so far as to say in Romans 8, 9, it says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And what Jude is saying is these people who are telling you a false gospel, a distortion of grace, a word that we looked and we defined as antinomianism, against the law, uh, saying that because of the grace of God, I can go and do whatever I want to, it does not matter, is a distortion. God does forgive us. God does cancel our debt. He, he clears it completely because he's paid for it. He looks at us, our brokenness, right? No one is righteous, not a single one. All of us are completely born, totally depraved. And Jesus purchases us by his blood, gives us his righteousness and his identity so that when the Lord looks at us, he sees Jesus. And that forgiveness is not meant to lead us into doing things that are sinful, right, against what God wants, but that forgiveness then leads us into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It is leading us to live a way that is pleasing to the Lord, not to please him, but because we've already been, we already do please him because of Jesus. And God is wanting to work in us to remove what is destructive for us. 
Right? Oftentimes this gets misunderstood because people preach, you got to be holy, you got to be holy, you got to be holy. And somehow we think, okay, now God just wants me to follow all these rules because he just doesn't like these things. That's not the case. God wants the best for you. The wages of sin is death. Sin, no matter how much it entices you, is destructive to you and other people. And God wants to remove that from you and lead you into things that are helpful for you. Even though you cannot see that they are helpful for you at first. So following after what I want to do, look at, see. You know what? That person has more money than I do. He wouldn't notice that thing I just took off his lawn. Like, man, I'm angry. I'm going to hit this, like, whatever, whatever it is. My natural desires oftentimes do not, are not healthy things for me. And when I'm following after what the Lord clearly says is sinful, it's destructive to me. <clears throat> and a person who stands up and teaches God's people to enter into sinful actions of behavior is not someone who's communicating something from the Lord. It's not someone who has the, this true about him. Ephesians 1, 13-14, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Right? When a person finally realizes what Jesus has done for them and sits broken seeing their need of grace and mercy and the absolute goodness of God on their, on their behalf. When they see that and they realize it and they desire it and the Spirit is working in them and they say, I repent. I've been living life for myself. And I can't save myself. I'm broken. I need help. I need a rescuer. I need you, Jesus. I believed you lived the life that I could not live. You died the death that I deserve. And you rose again from the dead. And you said that if I believe that and I put my trust in you, you make me new. And someone who genuinely does that, the Lord places his spirit in them. And he marks them. And that spirit leads and guides and moves God's people towards a lifestyle that is good for them and glorifying of God. See, the Holy Spirit is the watermark of our faith. These false teachers are false believers because they do not have the Holy Spirit. And because they do not have the Holy Spirit, they are unable to preach truth. They're unable to do it. Now, I know some of you guys are logic. You're going, well, how can they can't, you say that they can't teach any truth at all? Well, obviously, they can say true things. But the, invariably, they are going to be moved in a distortion of the truth. 
Invariably, they're going to teach, and invariably, they're going to show that life is all about them and not about the glory of God. Life is speaking towards me finding my pleasure, what I want, my preference, and not what God wants. It's self-serving. Right, they're first. 18, and the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It's theirs. It's mine. And this is the, the epitome of sin. Right? You could define sin by the letter in the middle of the word, word I. It's a life turned inward. A life for me and my wants and my desires and how I want things, how I feel things should go. Me, 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 me. And we joke about two-year-olds being like that. But we don't really outgrow it. Because most times when things go wrong in my life, or I'm frustrated about things, what is it about? You know, if my family would just do the things the way I want them to do it, life would be awesome. It's about me. It's about their own worldly passions. And because they don't have the Spirit, they cannot understand truth. Right? 2 Corinthians, I don't, I'm not sure if I put this up there. I didn't put the full verse up there. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16, it says, See, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. The spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. For the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand the mind of the Lord as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. See, this is the beauty of what the Lord does for us when he gives us the helper. When he gives us his spirit. When he indwells us, he teaches us, he shows us, right? He works in us so that we may see the truth. One of the core tenets of our faith is not that we understand in order to believe, as Augustine would say, but that we believe in order to truly understand. And when we believe the Lord is who he says he is, and we rest on the Lord, and we receive the Lord, we receive his spirit, he begins to open up his word in ways that we would never have known. That's why you, oftentimes you'll find kids who grew up in the church, did not actually know the Lord. They'll go to another church, they'll come to know the Lord, and they'll be like, man, this was never taught to me when I was growing up. Gospel was never preached in the church. 
When, in fact, the church they did go to, the gospel was preached every day. It's because spiritual things are spiritually understood, and they have to be understood by the Spirit, which is awesome because this gives freedom to each of us. Why do we oftentimes try to encourage each of us to read this? Because this is the word of God, and he imparts it to us, he explains it to us, he uses it to grow us. And you can, you can do that yourself. We don't be, I, I don't believe I'm the authority on all of this. I'm not standing here, I'm the only one who can rightly interpret the truth. truth. It's, it's not true. The Spirit of God works and does that. Do I have training? Yes. Can I rightly divide this? For the most part. Am I still learning? Yes. But it's the Spirit of God who works in us to do this. In fact, all false teachers who are distorting this word, you find, actually deny the Holy Spirit. So, I don't know if you guys have ever had an interaction with Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, some of you. When I first went to Bible school and I started learning Greek, man, I, I, I first Jehovah's Witness came up. And I was like, man, I'm going to prove them wrong. They want to bring stuff up to me? I'm going to show them the Greek. I'm going to pull up my Greek New Testament. Blah, 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 blah. Let me show you how Jesus is the Son of God and he's not a created being. He's eternal, co-equal with the Father. And now I'm going to let them know. But the more conversations I got into and more interactions I got into, I, I didn't really realize they did not believe in the Holy Spirit either as a person, as someone who indwells them. They believe the Holy Spirit is this force that pushes them and moves them, but not a person that they can interact with not, a, not as someone who dwells inside of them. And man, the most, at least I think, I'm not sure where this person is now, but it seemed like the most productive conversation I've ever had with a Jehovah's Witnesses just to say, hey, <laughs> I know I'm a Christian. I know what I believe is true. Well, how do you know it's true? Because God's spirit is dwelling in me. And this woman's looked at me like a crazy person. I said, well, have you, have you read Ephesians chapter one? And we started going through it. I'm like, if your people aren't teaching that, you know, start questioning what I believe to be true. I know I'm saved because I experienced it. I experienced Jesus coming and taking me and changing me from what I was into something brand new. And I'm not perfect. I still have a, a battle. I make mistakes. But he is perfecting me. He is changing me. He is growing me until he brings me home. And I'm secure, I'm safe, and I'm found in him. This is just something we all have to get a hold of, guys. This wasn't originally in my sermon, but remember we were looking at the book of Luke? Remember how many times the Holy Spirit was mentioned? 
Holy Spirit overcame. The Holy Spirit overshadowed. The Holy Spirit came and led. The Holy Spirit did this. The Holy Spirit did this. The Holy Spirit did this. Was that new? Did you, this is the first time you've seen that? Is that new for you in the book of Luke? He's all over it. You keep on reading. Jesus going into his, his ministry. John the Baptist baptized him. Spirit descends upon him. There's a genealogy. And then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Then the Spirit works through him to dispel the lies of the enemy who's using God's truth and distorting it to bring destruction in Jesus. Then he comes back full of the Spirit. And then you just walk through, you see the Spirit working and working and working. And you tie Luke with the gospel of, of, of the, with the Acts, right? The Spirit dis- descends on God's people. The Spirit leads. The Spirit leads Paul. Paul wants to go somewhere. He says, no, Spirit stopped me from going there. And you just see the Holy Spirit actively working out his, what he's wanting to do in the world. So, false teachers are false believers because they do not have the Holy Spirit. They cannot preach truth because they do not have the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, let me give you a list of things. We could spend a while on the Holy Spirit. And it may be a good thing for us to do. Because us listening individually, listening to the Holy Spirit, following his promptings, allowing him to lead us, is how the Lord's going to make an impact through us. Like, whoever started the mercy ships, I don't know his name. Um, yeah, but it was the Holy Spirit who put on him. There's a need for hospitals out there. We're going to go buy a ship. I'll bring it to him. And now thousands of people, lives are changed, not only physically, but spiritually. Because someone led this man to go and to start this organization, to go reach these people. And now someone from our congregation who grew up with us it says, that's what I want to do. And I'm going to go walk in that. And is using her skills and life to bring hope and healing to people. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, it convicts, he convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. John 16, 13 through 15. I'm not going to put these up there. You can write them down if you're interested. But this is what Jesus said. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what's mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine, therefore I say that he will take what's mine and declare it to you. We already read 1 Corinthians. Um, He will work to convict the world. He will work to convict us, right? Side note, God does not use guilt and shame to motivate us to right living. God uses conviction to motivate us to right living. What is conviction? What's the difference? Guilt means I'm a terrible person. I'm worthless. I am terrible. This is, I'm never going to get better. 
That's not the Spirit. The Spirit convicts, man, this was not right. That's not who I am. I'm not those actions. I've been bought with a price. I'm called to glorify God. Jesus, I am so sorry. Help me. He leads us. He teaches us. Right? He leads us to righteousness. Galatians 5 16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But I'm communion with the Lord, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, and I'm walking with him. I really don't even need to worry about not sinning. Actually, that's a very destructive uh, thought process to wake up in the morning and go, man, I, I'm, I don't want to sin today. 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 It's actually going to lead you into sinning. But if I wake up and Lord, Lord, I need you. Jesus, I love you. Lord, guide me. Move me. Teach me. Help me to know when you want me to speak to someone. Help me to know when you want me to pray for someone. I love you. I need your peace. I need your hope. I need your, your kindness and your patience and your gentleness to be in me. And we seek after him. It tends to just happen. He also intercedes on our behalf. Right? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray as for what we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We don't even know what to pray for most of the time. But God is with us always interceding for us. And he teaches us all truth. Again, John 16, 1 Corinthians 2. And finally, he seals and ensures our salvation. When, when, when Paul says in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14... In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we should acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He is stating that the Spirit dwelling in you is the down payment for your future salvation. That God's never going to let you go you're not going to lose what he's provided, what you did not earn and did not work for. You cannot lose. It's a gift. Whom he calls, he keeps. And it's an encouragement that the Lord is in me, dwelling in me, never forsaking me. And not only that, he's going to ensure what he started will happen. So all of these things is what the Holy Spirit does. And if these things are not evident in those who are teaching you, you've got to start to call to question what they're teaching you. Which on just a side note, this is, what it's, this is why it's important to be a part of a local church. I don't really need to say this to all of you because you're here. Uh, but anyone listening online, if all of your intake is from people who are way out there that you're not able to interact with or know? How are you to know if they're teaching truth? 
Again, nobody's perfect, but there is evidence of this in anyone who calls themselves a believer and is truly a believer. And the evidence of that is revealed as you interact with the people and know them. And if they make a mistake, they go, man, I did make a mistake. Not walking around in pride and arrogance. That was an aside. Um, So if all this is true about the Spirit, um, I have a question. Is he doing these things in you? Is he doing these things in you? I don't find it necessarily helpful for me to sit here and outline all of the various um, heresies, I guess you would say, out there, and all the various false teachers out there. It's not helpful at all. But if I recognize and I understand that the Holy Spirit is in me and working, then I can begin to trust and recognize that he's going to lead me and actually lead me into rejecting teaching that's against him, that's destructive to me, that is not of him, and he will lead me after the things that are good and uplifting? Is he doing this in you? If so, awesome. Keep it up. Keep trusting him. Keep walking with him. But if not, it's really simple. The gospel is good news for a reason. It's good news because it's it's accessible by anyone, anywhere they are. It's good news because the work that we need to do to be in relationship with God is impossible for us to do. But God himself came down to do the work for us. And that he offers himself as a gift He offers salvation as a gift. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That whosoever will believe in him will have eternal life. You can have the Holy Spirit. You can have new life. You can be born again just by simply receiving him. There's no magic words. There's no incantation. It is just simply, God, I believe you are who you said you are. I need help. I am broken. I cannot save myself. And I finally see it. So Jesus, would you please come into my life and change me? You are welcome. I receive you. Forgive me and give me new life. And in that moment, He does. In that moment, he gives his spirit. In that moment, you walk into a journey that may be difficult. But it's the most worthwhile thing you can ever do in this life.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. I thank you for your spirit, Lord. Who we often neglect, we often forget about, we often do not consult. But I thank you, Lord, that while we do those things, that he still intercedes, he still leads, he still works. So Lord, we trust you. We ask that you would lead us, that you would empower us, that you would conform us into your image by your spirit so that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name.